Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I'm Mike, joined once again by Price, and we are, well, we'll be at the time of this episode being posted about 36 hours away from the 2023 NBA draft. And yeah, Price, we've been through months of this now. How are you feeling? It's almost here. I know you're ready for it to be over. I think we both are. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a crawl, but the last week has felt like a sprint. Hmm. At the same time, you know, where it's like, man, I thought we'd have more time to dig into this class, but nope, it's about to happen. It is about to happen. Uh, another thing we've learned, I mean, we've learned this throughout the draft process. We found this out the last couple of years, but it has become abundantly clear this year, like abundantly, abundantly clear, is that this front office is, when it comes to the draft, opaque to the point of duplicity. Uh, like these people are almost like, you know, evil, I don't say evil geniuses, uh, you know, super villains and that they surrender absolutely nothing. They might actively be using the beat writers as smoke screens. <laughs> At least one of them suspects that if I remember, you know, if I, if I heard correctly and like, I gotta say in terms of overall strategy, like from an outsider's perspective, I'd say, okay, fantastic. You know, this makes perfect sense to me. Give up absolutely nothing. You don't have to misdirect as much as you can don't let other teams know what you're looking for lead them astray whatever that makes perfect sense as a fan i'm like you know two middle fingers and let's just let's get this over with i want to see what actually happens yeah i mean i almost have smoke asphyxiation at this point from all of the rumors that are being out there like um even pick number two is linked to three separate four separate players between uh, oh, yeah. Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, like who who knows uh, at this point? There's yeah. so many factors that could be at play, so many theories. I mean, it's fun, but I trust absolutely nothing until I see Adrian Wojnarowski tweet it out. Oh, apparently he's not going to spoil the, the draft picks this year, he said. But okay. the, the trade front, the trade front. Oh, on the but trade yeah. front, gotcha. But yeah, when it comes to the Pistons, I mean, it's kind of funny looking at it. Like, I don't, and and this is this is no offense to any writers. I don't read mocks, or I'll read them just to see what. Uh, um, I don't even know how to put it. So put it this this way: I, I don't read mocks for my own information. Not no doubting anybody who does. I just go and uh, you know tend to go pretty deep into draft research. Um, you know, but I've I've read a couple of them. Uh, and like from people who are supposedly, you know, connected guys like, you know, Sam Bassini and Jonathan Giboney. Um, and it's basically, we don't know actually the, the undertone and the undertone you get from, you know, from the, the Detroit B writers as well, is that we don't actually know what the Pistons are planning on doing. Uh, this is our best guess. You know, this is entirely possible, but it's clear. My guess is that the West news and West rumors have come out of the Pistons front office than have come out of probably anybody else in the lottery. And this is reminding me of, you know, for those of you who are Red Wings fans, like back in 91, which is long before I was watching hockey, of course, I think that was the draft when Nick Wittstrom came in. They thought very highly of him, but they wanted some other guys. They, they thought they could get in the first couple rounds, and they thought, okay, we'll, we'll get Wittstrom in the third rounds. We feel pretty confident in that. But they said to everybody in the front office, this is our guy, and if you say one word about him, you're fired immediately. You're done. <laughs> um, so it's just reminding me of that a little bit. So 
in any case, yeah. So honestly, neither we nor anybody else, including the people who you know would ostensibly be your best information sources, would be the B writers and the National Insiders, seem to have even the faintest clue what the Pistons are going to be doing. So, uh, it's wait and see. But and I didn't want this episode to be completely outdated within 36 hours, but there doesn't really seem to be any way around that. So, uh, let's move ahead. So after all that we have seen and heard for whatever it's worth price what is your prediction for if the pistons if the pistons stay at number five tomorrow what do you who do you think will be the pick yeah at this point i'd say that i feel like if i had to put it on one guy it's asar thompson i know we see walker's name come up a lot he's the betting favorite as of this recording um almost 36 hours out from when the pick will be made I'm sure Vegas. But, I'm sure Vegas hates the front office at this point. Yeah, right. Vegas has the plot. I would hate their guts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, um, I think it's I think it's Asar Thompson because during Weaver's press conference, he had this line about taking a home run. If he only's got one swing, he's gonna go for it all. He's not gonna settle just for you know uh, a bunt or a batted in single. He wants, um, he wants to really nail this pick, and I think it's Asar Thompson represents a confluence of a lot of really intriguing skill, intriguing athleticism with a questionable toolbox. The floor very low. Floor is quite the, low on offense for sure. Yeah, the the ceiling, two way ball mover, connective tissue passer. Potential shooter, driver of the basket. Yeah, that that's a good player, and we would love to have him on this team. You feel better about him than you do about Walker? I mean, I still feel a little bit better about Walker's floor mm-hmm. than I do about Asar, but I think I I think I, I'd rather take the gamble on on Asar. Like the the sort of media presence that the Twins have is very positive. They seem like they are really good people, and I know that they are going to just work as hard as humanly possible to maximize their God-given talents. Yeah, this the work ethic seems like it's there. Uh, Jairus Walker, by all accounts, is a pretty hard worker. Of course, you look at him on the court, and the extreme aversion to contact doesn't really speak too well about him to no. me, but leaving that aside, yeah, I, I agree that Asar is probably the favorite at this point. If they stay at five, and it's anybody's guess yeah. is if they will stay at five, and like I would be f- very surprised if Walker were the pick, just because I think the offensive fit is putrid. When you have Cade and Ivy, you're going to want to give maximum spacing for, and you have Duran, who's a traditional yeah. center, who's not good, extremely unlikely to be shooting the ball, and you want to give him maximum spacing. And Walker is just even more than a SAR in some ways. His his offense is more of a question mark at least a little bit to me so here's here's what really decides it between asar and walker i mean that the fact that asar doesn't run away from contact is nice but the positional versatility and the fact that walker is very much kind of like a four and a half versus asar who i think will be able to play three possessions excuse me three positions has that just overall versatility yeah. mm-hmm. that is so important in today's nba and that walker really doesn't have and like, I'm not high on Asar uh, in terms of his floor, and he has a long way to go on offense. And it would kind of be the, the lesser the lesser of two do-not-wants, but I would still prefer him over Jairus Walker. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think that although I may be more confident in Walker being a long-term NBA player, whereas I could really honestly see Asar flaming out of the league. On the other hand, the potential there of a guy who can guard basically anybody in a switch setting, maybe even some fives, like I think he's going to get strong enough and certainly long and fast enough to guard down lineups. It's, It's intriguing, and the passing is real with both of them. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of prefer Asar's passing. He's more of a live dribble passer. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Walker, although he's praised as this quick decision maker, he also has a tendency to really surveil in order to make that decision. And I, I'm less concerned about Asar's ability to pass the ball. I I'm, feel much more confident in his ability to dribble and not to say that he's a great dribbler, but I think there's real hope that he might get there. The the toolkit is there at least. Yeah, they have they have some overlapping weaknesses. Like in terms of you could realistically call both of them zero level scorers at the moment. I mean Walker could kind of shoot threes. They get a very very mad percentage on low volume, and Asar, if you want to look at the entirety of his stats. Still doesn't look all that great, and he hit like uh, he hit about half of his threes in the season in a four-game hot streak at the end of it. But yeah, I I, I, I just have I just have a better sense. Uh, I, I just I'm higher. I have a better feeling about Asar, and, and in part, like if Walker were this much more agile dude who could uh, who could easily play down to the three, and with whom we didn't have concerns about switchability onto guards, then that would be there, and you know that that would be nice, and. Like I said, Asar's just better off the dribble as a playmaker. Should be a better player off the move in general. Whereas I feel like Walker is really going to be operating from the interior stationary a lot as yep. a playmaker for others. And Pistons don't need clog next to Duran. They don't need clog next to Ivy and Cade. And yeah, I mean, that, that interior playmaking is only going to get you so far. I feel like Walker's passing is being a little bit overblown. Like there's the, there's two things are being conflated. Like that, yeah, he's he's a good processor and he's, you know, he's a talented connected passer with he's a really great passer, which I don't agree with. It's more just kind of like a strength rather than a characterizing strength. So yeah, I just I, I just feel better the, about this. Yeah. I think it's the distinction between Walker is a good passer for his position in the same way Duran is a good passer for his position mm-hmm. with a guy who's legitimately just a great passer regardless of position no oh, i don't know if i'd call a star great but i'd say he's i'd no. say he's much much better as an off the dribble passer which you're going to get a lot more of at the nba level and the hope is that duran's doing that interior passing and what i meant is that that's the the distinction that's i think being falsely made i'm not saying uh, sar is gotcha. the other okay. side of this yeah this okay, I hear you. just that that's just to agree and sort of highlight what you were saying which is that there's p- players who I think are like, regardless of them being big or small, are great passers. Mm-hmm. But then there's guys who are good for their position, good for the role that they will play. The problem is, is that Walker, I am, I have very big questions about his role on offense, just like how I do with Asar. But on defense, I think Asar brings another level of switchability that I could really be tempted by. And there's 
there's intrigue there. It's, I don't think it's a horrible pick. Yeah. My, like I did at the start of this process. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've softened a little bit, like I said, in the last episode, but I mean, for me, it's just, if you look at the, the prospective good case scenarios, like both of them become shooters, for example, uh, like Walker, I think is just inherently not like a, a is kind of this guy that maybe he learns it and becomes good at it. I feel like Walker is not a natural shooter is never going to be the guy you want to give the ball to and have him shoot on high volume. And that's what a star has to be kind of to, to, to be a worthwhile pick. And, you know, maybe he'll get there, but just the fit in, in the good case scenarios, you still have Walker being this guy who, okay, you want to try to get value out of that passing. Okay. He's just going to be operating from the interior in general quite a bit is the feeling that I get. And whereas a star is going to be more of a traditional perimeter focused wing who can do more traditional perimeter focused stuff and just strikes me as so much of a better fit in terms of his capabilities of just playing off the move, you know, playing like a true wing rather than a big, you know, on both ends really, but, but alongside Cade and Ivy. And so I just feel better about it. I just feel better about it. I wouldn't be thrilled with the pick, but I would feel better about the pick and I would be prepared for a to have a, a rough rookie year. If he were the pick, um, not, not for the Pistons in particular, just that it may take some time, but, uh, let's talk, uh, Cam Whitmore and in the Intel, yeah. yeah, the Intel coming out, which is not just coming out of the Pistons, or that he's had a series of unimpressive workouts. And uh, I, I know we both felt that the IQ is going to be the swing skill. And that's just not, you know, that's, that's not a tremendous insight by any means. That's what anybody, mm-hmm. you know, basically, basically anybody would say. So, and I'm not sure if we spoke about this offer on the air about how the interviews would probably make a pretty significant difference, especially to a team like the Pistons. And yeah. if, he completely just flunked. Basically, if he went into interviews with, with teams in general, or they tested his processing ability, you know, whether in an interview or, or on the court, and he, they really just came away wanting, I mean, that would definitely be a very strong reason for him to fall. I Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think that film is a big component of those interviews. And if they didn't like his answers in the film room, then that may have indicated some things for them because ultimately nearly every high level player in this league plays with some degree of feel, some degree of basketball IQ, if you will. And we don't really have very many mellows who are just not good passers and are stars in the modern NBA. And not to say that you need that every good player needs to be a great passer or a good passer or anything, but mellow is very unique with being just a bucket and guys who are just a bucket aren't really that valuable unless they're great at it they got to be amazing at it and i think whitmore does have that potential it's Mm. just that it's that road is more narrow and i think teams are leaning more towards field players so if they were unimpressed with the prospect of improving his feel or that the, the floor is just so low on that regard that it's going to be an uphill battle developing this guy, then maybe some teams are looking the other way. Or there are questions about his level of self-awareness. I mean, I know that that stuff was made about the fact that I didn't see any of these. So I don't even know if I I should bother saying this about the interviews in which people asked him what he thought he had to improve upon. And he wasn't saying his playmaking. I don't know. I'm not just going to go by hearsay, but yeah, that was the chief question about him was his IQ, you know, not only as a passer, not only on offense where again, it's not just about, Hey, 
we've got guys who on this team who can already pass. So, you know, we don't need Whitmer to do it. Nobody would be asking him to be a playmaker, but can he make the basic read off the pass? It's all about mm-hmm. margins of race within the NBA. You want to get the most effective shot, the most efficient shot on every possession you can. So is he driving in? Can he find the guy one pass away who's wide open? Can he simply pass when it's going to be a bad shot? Can he drive in uh, on one of those driving kicks and drive and kick and drive and kick? Those plays that really are so great at the wrong foot in the defense, can he drive in and make the right pass? Or is he just one of these rare guys who absolutely doesn't have that processing ability? And also on defense, it's like his off-ball defense was extremely questionable at Villanova. So if teams brought him in and they figured out they just they looked at him and this guy they're like this guy actually has the basketball IQ of a stone by NBA standards and it does happen we've seen it we see it with Bagley for example on defense then you know raw athletic ability or not you know upside as a scorer or not that's a major downside huge downside and that's the only way I could really see him falling from like the the the, the top five to the end of the top ten I mean the teams would have had to be really unimpressed with what they found from him yeah, I I agree completely. It's it's just a matter of all of these players have warts and which ones people really view as a detriment or view as something that can be worked through. I think that is what's really going to dictate what happens maybe even af- as soon as pick number two. Yeah. Not to say that Scoot or Miller aren't obviously kind of in a different tier, but there are concerns. Scoot with his size, Miller with the character stuff and maybe some of his intensity level aren't exactly what you like to see. Mm-hmm. And maybe teams at picks two and three, they go a different direction. Who knows? Or they trade so, it. Not the Hornets, but the Blazers yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really just a matter of, of it's going to be a fun draft night. Even if the Pistons don't move down at all, I, I'm going to be interested to see what happens. Yeah, here's here's a, a scenario. So we heard last year that the Pistons really liked Durham. They considered even taking him at number six, that it would have been a possibility if they hadn't felt like they could pick him up later in the draft. I feel like we shouldn't necessarily rule out the idea that if we, you know, if they really like Taylor Hendricks, for example, and we were told that he had a very strong workout with the Pistons, for what that's worth. You know, players can have strong workouts and, not, and have it not matter whether... It, in terms of translation of the NBA level or the team actually drafting them, they can also come in and have terrible workouts and then team drafts them anyway. That's what happened with Cade by all accounts yep. is his on-court workout was awful, but they, they loved him and they loved his interview. And, um, and it may have been the, the opposite with Jalen green. It might've been, I, I don't know. That's it's entirely speculation. So, so it's, it's possible. I wouldn't rule out the possibility though. I think it's unlikely that if they just decide we really like Taylor Hendricks and we can't trade down, then we trade, we take him at five. And this this front office is absolutely capable of throwing out complete curveballs. Yeah, if the trade down to seven or nine or whatever is being rumored isn't actually there, then and Taylor Hendricks is the guy. I could see Weaver just standing there and taking him, mm-hmm. being like, "Look, you think my words of taking pure upside in this press conference mean anything? Get <laughs> get lost. Like, I'm I'm gonna go take my guy." And that's my swing. Yeah. I can see that. It's possible. I mean, this just this process with the Pistons picking at number five in this particular draft, I mean, it was a little bit easier last year. Like, you, you knew that the Pistons were almost undoubtedly... I, I never, I was never concerned the Pistons were going to take Keegan Murray. At least if I recall correctly, I was never genuinely concerned because I just didn't think that they would take a player like him with a relatively low offensive ceiling. And 
not a super translatable skill set. But so I felt like it was obvious that it was either going to be Matherin or Ivy, depending on who was available. But maybe I'm to listen to you know last year's podcast and be like, okay, well my memory is really failing me right now. I feel like it was a lot more straightforward. And then of course in, yeah. in 2021, I was virtually certain it was going to end up being Cade, just based on his what he offered in an all-around context and the fact that the Pistons needed a, a lead creator. But this year, anything could happen. We are speaking entirely in the realm of speculation because this front office mm-hmm. gives nothing away, like nothing away. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they're definitely playing chess here in a way that that a lot of teams don't. And I wonder at their level of operational security must be, people must have been threatened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, like like i said like with the red wings yeah if you say anything that we don't tell you to say you're fired yep we we probably know more about arn Tellum's lunch choices than we do about the pistons draft board no oh, we could find that out probably pretty easily just a little bit of money sprinkled around amongst the staff you know assuming that they're eating you could figure that out pretty simply yeah so i'd, I'd say yeah. that without without hesitation <laughs> uh, of course, his, his lunch choices uh, out at restaurants are not exactly privileged information, but uh, I don't know. I'm just being silly. So <laughs> let's talk trade down possibilities here. Of course, this is where you could go just about anywhere with these. I, I would be shocked personally to see the Pistons trade down further than number nine. I don't think they want, unless it's somebody they really love, who they think they're very confident is going to be available in the teens. I don't see them trading down further than that, but there's also the factor that like the Pistons have so many young players in the team already. Do they really want more young players in this team? They, do they really want to trade for like two other firsts in the, in the second round somehow? And I think the answer is no. I question if they'll even keep number 31. So I think that, that that'll play a play, you know, play a part in potential trade down scenarios. But the one that's being brought up most consistently, and I don't remember if, if Woj brought this up or not. Uh, I, I've just seen it floating around. So let's talk about it just for speculation purposes or whatever. Uh, which would be a trade with Utah for number six, excuse me, number nine and number 16. What would you think about that? I'm sure you'd love it if Hendricks were available at number nine. That's it. This is a no-lose scenario for you. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the absolute dream where we get to get the guy I want at five anyways, who by all accounts really impressed with his showing, and we get an extra mid-first. Maybe we do something with 31 because I do agree with, James Edwards notion, the Pistons beat writer, that three rookies seems like a lot right now with how young this team still is and with how much they have to improve. And they are presumably going to bring in some vet of some variety in free agency. So they want to improve. Three rookies doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot of improvement. You don't really expect a lot. From you, want, you want reps too. You want to get reps for your young players, and there are a lot of them on the team already. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you when you look at you know Cade and and Ivy, you know they they still want to be getting reps for in terms for just for purely for development purpose, development yeah. purposes. Excuse me for for Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes, even who are going into their fourth seasons, probably the third season for Killian. <laughs> for for Isaiah Livers and and certainly James Wiseman and. Though I think he's the likeliest to fall out of the rotation altogether, Marvin Bagley and Duran, and uh, that the falling out of the rotation was Bagley, not Duran. Of course, Duran is the probably the, the by all accounts the player, the young player that the 
the front office is highest down outside of Caden Ivy. Correct. Yeah, so it's like you've got all these young players. You're going to be adding one more in the top 10, almost certainly. Like, How do you find minutes? Last year, they tried to get rid of the second-round pick because, you know, because presumably, and from from what came out about it, either they didn't want to add another standard NBA contract with the draft, or they just didn't want to bring over another young player. They couldn't move it, so they ended up taking a guy who could be stashed. So it, you just kind of reach this break point where it's like how, and I think I forgot to mention Livers in that group. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you listed pretty much the whole team. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, how do you find realistically find reps for all these guys? How do you find minutes for them? And I'm not a huge fan of the, of, you know, the, the philosophy of, Hey, just send them down to the G league. Cause the G league is very, very, the G league is a high talent league. It is not a, what I would call a persistent league or a, a standard league. The G league yeah. is full of, in the G league, you're either a player who you're one of three categories of players. You are under contract to an NBA team. And they want to put special focus on developing you. And they tell the coaches that you are a player who is playing for a relatively low salary because you want to try to attract NBA notice, or you're a guy, a team has brought on just to kind of fill a spot in the roster. This is, these are not kind of like teams. This is not a league in which you have these teams that are consistently trying to win a championship every year. Nobody tries to make a career in the G league. It's just not that lucrative. So even with Presida, it's like keep him in the Euro League. I, I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if he were brought over this year. But even if you have to choose between the G League and the Euro League, keep him in the Euro League. So yeah, the minutes just are not there. Yeah, you know, for no, many more young players. It, there isn't a lot of continuity either. Players yeah, that begin not at all. the year the yeah. year in the one team end up across the country by the end of the year. They're called up and down on ten day contracts as injuries roll in that sort of thing. It's just not very realistic to develop players in that league. No, I mean, it's fine for like the ignite. It seems that we, we are going to get some good players we have already, and we're going to continue to do so that come out of that. But it's a very unique situation where there's a lot more continuity. The players are kind of protected from the forces of the rest of the G league. And they're kind of allowed to play, a more developmental style and that's just not how it is for the other g league teams yeah so yeah. it's yeah. It, it, it unless you could guarantee a guy is gonna really get a lot of playing time somewhere just it's almost better just to sort of let sleeping dogs lie if we get 16 in that trade down scenario move 31 future second or multiple future seconds because it is a desirable one maybe even a first like I'd, a I'd late, late protected first or something oh, from yeah. one of the. Huh. I mean, there is a contract difference that that does emerge there yep. at pick thirty one rather than pick twenty nine. Say. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, pick flex, but second round contracts just for uh, for those of you who are who are not as who are maybe not entirely. I don't know why I put in this. Uh, I'll, I'll just not preface this. So. If you're taken in the first round, you have two years of grand guaranteed money. Every first round contract has two guaranteed years and then two team options. And that's just how it is, period. You know, that's written into the CBA. You have to do it that way. If you're a second round pick, the team has complete flexibility on what contract they'd, they would like to sign you to. So they can sign you to, I mean, you have to, players have to agree to the contract, of course. But there are, there are really no stipulations there. Like you can sign a player 
at pick 30 to, excuse me, pick 31 to a contract that has one guaranteed year, you know, one partially guaranteed year and one non-guaranteed year. You just have more flight. And, and, and the salary can start at the minimum versus it being significantly higher usually in the first rounds. I, I don't know how much pick 30 is, but yeah, I, I'd be shocked if we got another first rounder out of it just because that's a lot of flexibility. This is just an opportunity cost and teams generally don't want to leave those protected more than one season in the future. And then you're risking getting nothing at all. Yep. Or it just, or, or it just transfers the seconds, you know, that, that, that's a possibility, but I, I agree. He's 31 to get a player like I, an actual <clears throat> NBA player. That's, that's an interesting possibility as well. I'm not sure where you'd find that break point though, in terms of finding a player who's actually worthwhile to a team where the Pistons are right now, but who knows, maybe a point guard who can really push Killian at the same time. We're going to find minutes for this player also, but it's a possibility. I agree. I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'd be shocked if the Pistons came out of this draft of more than two players, more than two young players. Yeah. yeah that, so I think it's just, there's a lot of different rabbit holes we can go down, but if they do acquire like pick 16, mm-hmm. Again, I'd be pretty excited just because there's still going to be, be good, interesting players in that range. It's just that the the gap between 16 and 31 really isn't that big. Really? You don't my, think so? In my opinion. No, no. It's You get better cho- a better choice, and there's going to be more of the high upside guys that you'll have to, ch- to choose from. But I think you're still going to get an interesting potential NBA player at pick 31 that isn't going to be significantly lower in talent level, at least than hmm. most of the guys available at 16. I mean, maybe if Grady Dick like slips that far, then Hey, you know, that's, that's a, a slam dunk pick right there, but I don't want to deal with all the Dick jokes. I really I know not for like the I next, know. however many years grown, just grown. Yeah. I've made my share of them. And I, I could I could probably rattle off like five or six without even thinking about it, just because it's such low hanging fruit and it's so easy. You know. Don't say low hanging fruit. Oh, um, okay, well, um, yeah, we just have to play them. We just have to. This would basically necessitate the Pistons at signing Angela Ball so that they can play. So that yeah, you guys, I'm sure anybody who's listening to this can can finish that one up themselves. So yeah, ideally two of the Ball brothers. Um, you know, we'll just uh, so you see, this is these jokes. Oh. Will, these jokes will be made oh, constantly, like constantly, constantly, <laughs> and it's like I'm, I'm just like they're, they're kind of funny, but I don't, I'm not, just not very interested in Grady Dick for other <laughs> reasons as well. Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, like even if, even if he falls to 16, and as the Dick jokes have nothing to do with it, I don't think I'd be super interested in Grady. I just don't think he's really what this team is looking for, and I, I think that. He's he's a player who may have less value than you might think because I mean the, the standard of athleticism in this league is just growing at such an incredibly rapid pace. Again, margins are so thin that a guy like Luke Kennard, who isn't necessarily slow, he doesn't have a good wingspan, not as great a dick, but he's basically just despite being like by percentage the best three point shooter in the league this year, did not even play in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like mean, yeah. Th- those guys, who knows? Right. The, the I'm I'm in agreement. I'm not a huge Grady fan. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> good because good, good, great, great. I'm, I'm glad you put it that way. You know, you know what? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh man, I I feel like I'm eight years old again. It would Anyways. it would it would just be it would be constant. It wouldn't actually bother me that much. But I I think yeah, I, I don't think we have to worry about it. I, 
I think he's going to play in the league for sure, but yeah. limitations are definitely there. One-dimensional just-a-shooter types are not super compelling. And I, yeah, th- that's not the gamble I would make, but if we're getting, say, nine and we get to make an upside swing, there's some really high upside players that are potentially there at 16 still. Yeah, you think probably, uh, I would be shocked if we didn't see probably, yeah, probably a wing, a guy in the shooting guard, small forward range, just based yeah. on based on team needs. I would be quite surprised if they, well, should I be surprised if they were to take on another big? <laughs> <laughs> I think they wouldn't just because there would be not even the faintest possibility of that player getting any minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have, we, we already are, drowning in minutes at the big position mm-hmm. it's just yeah there's there's upside wings for sure um one of the guys that got mentioned today actually was jalen hood Shafino. and i should preface it wasn't at nine it was at 16 which is about the range that he's projected to go this is a guy who is has his limitations, I should say, which is basically any off-ball offense at all is pretty much non-existent at this point. But good athlete plus wingspan. He's uh, six foot four, six ten. The problem is, of course, that there is no off-ball game right now. But his on-ball game is actually pretty good. He's got a good handle. Um, kind of in that Johnny Davis mold. Oh, great! Which is not the best mold to be in. <laughs> that's a great, that's, that's a comp you really want made. I wouldn't count no. the guy out just yet, but I thought he was an awful pick when he was, when it, it was just an it, awful pick at the time. Uh, yeah. Bad situation for him to go to on top of it. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, Washington's a mess, which we all, all know. Hey man, they, finally, they finally kind of pulled the trigger on a rebuild, which none of us, which I mean, nobody thought was going to happen anytime soon. They are the Pistons. I believe in they have a star that they did not maximize trade value for. They've clung on desperately to a semblance of a semblance of a chance uh-huh. that didn't even really exist. They have a confused owner. They haven't had any postseason success in God knows how long, even longer than the Pistons. Um, oh, goodness. They made the second so, round back in 2015. Uh, I think they made it since then once. Yeah. The, no NBA titles. Or no, no NBA Finals appearances since they were the Bullets, I want to say. Um, just, they're a mess. Anyways, Jalen hood Shafino, that's a guy who was brought up. I see the appeal, which is that if we go for a more off-ball guy, like Hendricks at nine, then hey, you know, we can kind of double dip and get an intriguing creator who actually has real defensive potential too. I kind of like him a little bit more than Bryce Sensabaugh to bring up another name for Pistons fans, you know, an Ohio State guy. He uh, scored the ball like a lot, but played approximately no defense and might be the worst defender in in the entire first round. Mm-hmm. So that's a little less appealing. Like we can talk about the minutia of Jarris Walker's defensive shortcomings, but he's still going to defend. He's going to be a good defender. Yeah, it, but Bryce Sensabaugh is never going to be a good defender. And 
then we have guys like Derek Whitehead. Derek was actually rated extremely high before the season. However, he is coming off a lot of injuries right now. Shoots well, really young, good athlete, at least before the injuries, but this is his second surgery. He missed the entire pre-draft process, if you will. Didn't participate in any sort of athletic testing and has not worked out for teams other than going and visiting. So there's three names already of high upside players. Bryce Sensapod might be one of the best pure offensive players in the entire class, but is a dramatic weakness on defense. Jalen Hutchifino, no off-ball game at all. Derek Whitehead, huge injury risk. All of these guys would be available in the 16 range. All of them have skill, have talent, but it's very raw and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Derek Whitehead slide down to 31 because of the injury concern. You see where, where I was kind of going with the gap really isn't that hmm. big. In this, in this particular draft, you mean? In this particular draft. Okay. In yeah. other drafts, it usually is a little bigger. Yeah. But outside of the lottery, it it's it's really close, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah. But what about somebody like Grady Dick. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so (laughs) yeah, so it is a scenario. It's just the, the Pistons have a number of factors that were not considerations last year. Like that'll, that'll of course go into anything like having both Kate and Ivy and Ivy having had the season that he had having Jalen Duran on the team and and Jalen Duran having the potential that he has having so many young players on the team, uh, not being in a position anymore by all accounts, in which they just are willing to go out there and completely shell winning at the cost of development. Now, don't get me wrong. I think development is still going to be the priority next season. The difference yeah. is more that, you know, we're not going to go and let players just play and be horrible and still get minutes. I mean, Killian Hayes might find himself out of the rotation by two thirds of the way or even half of the way through next season. If he's horrible and somebody else on the team is, is doing a better job. Like Killian got a lot of leeway the last two years, despite being one of the worst players in the league. And I think that is going to go away. That sort of thing is going to yep. go away. But still, you're going to want to get minutes into your young players. And yeah, so I mean, they, they just have, they have considerations they didn't have last year. So it'll be interesting. I think what this just all comes back to is it'll be interesting and nobody has even the faintest idea of what, there's no certainty of any kind as to what the Pistons, or you can't even put, you can put a certain amount of likelihood on it, but that's about it. One thing, here's a question to ask, what would be a satisfactory outcome for you? Like what, uh, I know you could just say Taylor Hendricks. Okay. That's a little bit too easy. <laughs> what would be the bare minimum you would be satisfied with coming out of tomorrow's draft, come out of, uh, well, it will be tomorrow when we post this, but coming out of Thursday's draft. Yep. Um, you know, I, it's weird because I don't really have a lot of expectations. I kind of know the, the guys, if you will, that are in that top nine. So unless we trade out completely and completely blow the doors wide open and get a player of real substance for a high lotto pick, like pick five, I think it's just pick pick somewhere in that top nine and see what else you can you can get with either a Bojan trade or moving thirty one for something, moving up, 
moving out of 31 entirely. I don't know. What do you think that that to me, I think would be satisfactory, like a C grade or a B grade. I don't know how, what curve we're grading on. Just, I would be like, that is fine. Even if it's Jairus Walker, sure, whatever. I, I believe in the talent level enough of him versus the rest of the class to still say that that is an appropriate range, even though I have a lot of your concerns. Yeah. I'd like to see them come away with at least one player you can look at and say, I think this player is going to be a substantial part of the team's future or has the capacity to be a very substantial part of this team's future. You know, if it's Jairus Walker, you hope for the best. Um, you know, yeah, I, 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 I've got some, I'm increasingly feeling some FOMO about Taylor Hendricks. Of course, if this were a stronger draft, I wouldn't be feeling that sort of FOMO, but from where the Pistons are picking, I don't think it's necessarily a low likelihood they walk away from him, especially in a trade down. What would that trade down look like? Uh, You know, you'd have to be pretty confident that the Pacers are taking somebody else, but if he gets past the Pacers, you know, I think I would be shocked if the Wizards would take him and, you know, there you probably think he'd be available at number nine to be trade down that way. Uh, I'd be surprised if Boyan were traded, both because I I, I just think that the um, I think that the uh, just in terms of what he provides in the way of just an offensive release valve and yeah. an elite spacer, and he's a safety valve. Yeah, he's a safety valve for a very young team. And so just in, in terms of what he provides is just kind of like a, a true three level scorer and a guy who, yeah, is a release valid for what remains a very young team and is just a strong veteran presence. You know, those three, three things. I, I think that he'll be maintained on the team unless they get a very good offer. I don't think that offer will be forthcoming for the Mavericks. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of speculation about this. The Mavericks are a team that was a top 10 defense last season. Throughout the entire season, they got they got a little bit better on defense when Kyrie got there. They got a whole lot worse on offense. Offense is where they lost. Luca openly complained about the offense. You know, we can't play defense. Excuse me, openly complained about the defense. He says we just can't defend. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they decided to make themselves better on offense and even worse on defense. That is just basically reinforcing your places. You just reinforcing an area you don't need to get stronger in, while yeah. further weakening an area in which you are already desperately weak. And. It's not that Bojan wouldn't be a good fit with Luca. It's just that they have bigger needs. And this pick 10 is probably the only asset that they have that could reasonably acquire defensive help. So unless there is some type of three-team trade, this just isn't happening. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked. I mean, it's it just doesn't do anything for it- them. This giving up I think number a three-team trade is possible. Uh, I, I suppose it's conceivable, but even then, I mean, Boyan just isn't worth quite that much to a postseason team because, yeah. like on a, on on a good team, he's going to be like the probably the third option. So he's not going to have the same offensive load he had with the Pistons, and also so his offensive value will be lessened, and his defense is a big problem in the postseason. So just it's just a poor value equation there. I think he's worth more than the Pistons than he is to most to most teams. Uh, yeah, it's hard to really conceive of of a trade where we're getting fair value back while also the team is really significantly benefiting that's acquiring Boyan because he's just not a good defensive player whatsoever, and mm-hmm. it's it's tough to play those guys 
those guys when rotations get shortened and mismatches are hunted ruthlessly in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And it's, yeah, that's a pipe dream. Um, I would be shocked if that happens. I mean, an absolute fleece if, if that happens, but yeah. I think it's more more like that construction of a trade idea got out, but probably it would require a lot more to it to actually get it get that deal done, which yeah. is why I would think it would have to be a three team trade just by by virtue of the fact that Mavericks the Mavericks aren't getting enough. Yeah, I I mean my three rules that I, I feel like should be taken into account. Whatever, maybe that sounds a little pompous. Here are three rules that I think are good to use when evaluating any trade. Uh, if the trade is a slam dunk for your team, it is probably a bad trade for the other team because rarely are mm-hmm. trade slam dunks for both teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other team will not be trading its valuable piece to you for your team's disposable parts. And any trade, I mean, the rationale for both teams in any given trade should be apparent immediately not require any rationalization whatsoever, you know, or a real explanation. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I feel like this one kind of at the very least violates number one and number three. I mean, it's be a slam dunk trade for the Pistons. It's certainly not for the Mavericks. Number three. I mean, what's the rationalization there? I mean, if you have to, to stop and think about why would the Mavericks do this trade? Oh, well they get more scoring help and it's like, but they're already a good offensive team and they suck on defense and Boyan's a bad yeah. defender. So what are they getting? And they're losing I mean, number they're- 10. Pick, picks are all, or sorry, teams always are capable of making poor decisions. Yeah, that violate all of that those oh, principles. Sure. Yeah, but I, I don't. You don't count on that happening. You have to just sort of wait to see where the team is at, mm-hmm. and we only find that out really after everything plays out and we close the curtains. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think just picking in the top nine is. Obviously, Wemby would be ideal, but <laughs> we can dream. Um, yeah. <laughs> a, what what would be a night for you that would exceed expectations? Uh, maybe if the Pistons walk. I mean, honestly, I mean the, the possibility of getting somebody like like you know like Asar, but you know who I, I think still has a fair amount of potential. And again, I wouldn't be super upset with him. Um, the idea of getting like two of the guys who would be ostensibly in the Pistons list. You know, on those top four, even if one of them is, you know, one of them is Whitmore, I think is very, very unlikely. Yeah. Um, you know, if they come away with, say, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I just don't. I would be sad if the Pistons came away with Jarris Walker as their as their primary piece. And so I, I'd feel kind of okay if it were anybody else at this point, <laughs> which sounds, which is com- completely sounds completely ridiculous even to my ears. But if it's coming down to it between the four of them. Uh, that's like Walker. I think is the only outcome that I would be likely to be disappointed by, like outright disappointed by. I also don't think it's likely. So uh, I think I'll feel okay. I just feel like Asar Thompson is likely to be the pick. Of course, we're dealing with the front office that is completely and utterly non forthcoming yeah. with its intentions in any capacity whatsoever. So, all right. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts? I think that it'll be it'll be fine even. If it's Walker, it's just we have to remember that, or or I should say, it'll be fine if it isn't your guy. And I'm speaking just generally. It'll be okay because we have potentially star number one and star number two, and maybe even 
high level starter potential star number three on the roster. And that's kind of the foundation you want coming out of a rebuild. So all of this is just to sort of help keep filling in the the dots, so to speak. And there are plenty of talented players throughout this draft that can help do that. And as long as we're getting one guy out of this class that does that, then it's mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how uh, I have to give some thought as to how to respond to that. That's in part because it's been a very, very long day. (laughs) <laughs> recording this at 11:45, but uh yeah it, it'll be interesting that's uh that's all i'll say uh anyway all right folks that'll be it uh for this episode next one of course will be after the draft and uh until then let's uh suppose all hope for the best on draft nights catch you in the next episode